Now Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling! We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Wait, wait. Pass to the front. Great save, Pelosi! As she robs a Cooper in front of her in that one was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. A shot makes his play through, and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. And welcome back to the Husky Warming House podcast, episode number 43. Noah Grant, I am Nick Maxson. Noah, plenty of stuff to get on this episode, but we have a couple of housekeeping procedures that we need to do. We first have our double minor giveaway, but also some trivia that we need to get our fans looked up on. And uh, let's well, just pitch it over to you, Noah, since my brain is already half asleep and we just got into this thing. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Nick, I want to know how you're doing today um, on this, uh, getting ready for this this new release in this new split up show. Um, how has your week been? Have you been all right? Um, it's kind of weird that like I'm taking an interest in you, but I guess I'll fake it for a couple more seconds. Well, you're, you're faking it. Well, I give you the Oscar, um, but at the, <laughs> but at, uh, it's been a long week, uh, big transition happening at work. And then I guess the big news is uh, I'm on the television broadcast tomorrow with Pat Micheletti. Uh, this is again, Saturday, the second, uh, going into the second half of the, uh, the Bulldogs game here again, recording a little bit later uh, than we normally would, but uh, that's just with the, uh, the change in scheduling uh, here, of course, just trying to keep everybody up to date with uh, hockey sense, but I'm doing pretty good. Uh, all things considered the new years, we're finally at a 2020 screw that year and everything that it stood for. Um, but so Noah, how did you fare for the new year? How, First of all, do you have a good one? What'd you do? And I guess, how was your week? Um, well, I, I guess 2021 right now feels just like the overtime of 2020. And I don't like it very much. <laughs> uh, no, uh, what did I do for New Year's? I guess I sulked a little bit knowing that I should have been in the press box at Target Field that day. Um, but uh Actually, what I did is I actually worked on the new overlays for uh, the show, as if you're watching the YouTube page, as you can see right now, and just kind of did a lot of uh, recut all the promos, as you're about to find out for the Huskies Warming House podcast, except for the center ice view one, that one stayed the same. So, um, because I... I, I can't, I can't do that to Bill. I can't, I can't do him dirty like that, you know? Um, but no, it, it was good. I had a good time, just hung out with family and uh, yeah, kind of in, enjoyed the ride a little bit. Excited to bring uh, our first split show uh, ever in the show's history. And we've got a lot of really, really exciting things cooking as far as guests that are coming on and some changes that are coming as well. So bear with us. We're excited to have you with us. And Nick, like you did mention, we do have a couple of uh, uh, housekeeping procedures to get to as we do have trivia and some apparel giveaways as well. So let's jump into the new ad read for Two Line Fan Trivia. Two Line Fan Trivia is your chance to win some sweet Huskies Warming House podcast apparel every Saturday at noon. Simply follow us on Twitter, and when 12 o'clock noon rolls around on Saturday, gear up to take on the best in the two-line fan trivia leaderboard for your chance to win a Huskies Warming House podcast hat. Twitter followers also have a chance to win more Huskies Warming House podcast apparel, and you'll also find the latest in St. Cloud State Husky coverage. Two-line fan trivia, every Saturday at noon. Two-line fan trivia, the first of the new year, Nick. Uh, coming today on January 2nd, it's nice that our trivia is now actually going to be up-to-date uh, for future shows because we are recording either Saturday night or most likely Sundays, Sunday mornings, and having that show up uh, in the early parts of the afternoon for Sunday. Uh, for our trivia this week, uh, as one fan noted, the St. Cloud State men's hockey team has not split at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center with Duluth since the mid-2000s. Next weekend, the men play two games in Duluth. When was the last time that St. Cloud State University swept the University of Minnesota Duluth, a.k.a. won both games, in Duluth during the regular season? Um, Nick, do you happen to know when this actually Ooh. was? The last time that St. Cloud State swept Duluth in Duluth in the regular season? I'm trying to think, because even a couple of years ago when I covered them for KV, I think it was a split there, too. Oh boy. I will um, tell you, you, you're in the NCHD era. I'll give you that much. Yep. 
Let's go with 2014. Very close. Very close. Uh, one year prior, uh, our winner to increase his lead on second place for the leaderboard, the Huskies swept Duluth by scores of 4-2 to two and 5-1 to one on December 6th and 7th of the 2013-14 season. Don't forget that season before that was the year that they went to the Frozen Four in Pittsburgh. And the last time the Huskies swept Duluth at home, do you remember this one, Nick? Uh, yes, that was... You should get this one. I hope you get this one. This was just last year, wasn't it? Yep. Hockey Day, Minnesota, January 17th and 18th of 2020. Scores of two to one and two to nothing. Some really hard fought hockey games from the Huskies at that particular time. I I wanted to see if I could throw you for a loop on that one. I was was worried I made you overthink a very simple explanation there, Nick. Um, (laughs) Sometimes uh, I do. (laughs) Nick, what what are your uh, thoughts here before we jump into uh, um, our double minor giveaway, of course, giving away two Huskies Warming House podcast t-shirts in the first show of every month um what did you think about those gray jerseys last year would they go in as the top five worst jerseys you've ever seen for st cloud state i mean they top two honestly uh, do you have a top one i mean i know i i think people would if they saw the jersey history be inclined to throw the the original jersey and just because it was a true sweater with just the stripes but um besides that gray jersey is there any other huskies hockey jersey that is on the back end of the spectrum for you that you can think of or is that one take its sole rightful place as number one it could be number one i mean the pink ones i've done in the past have been pretty open they've been okay um, I, I wish they would spend a little bit more dough on them a little bit. They seem like, I guess, second rate practice jerseys. Some of them, this gray one definitely did. On, I hate to say it. Um, if you're going to go with an alternate Jersey, it doesn't matter if it's one time use or we're not, you got to make them look good. I mean, especially if you're going to skate for the whole game with them. Um, those great ones were just atrocious. And it's just, yeah. again, I, I would, would rather see something more consistent. Like, again, we've had that, the Jersey poll a couple months back here on this podcast. And I think, uh, you know, St. Cloud, they I mean, they have, what the the alternate reds that they kind of use the reds the reds are the most beautiful jerseys on the they planet are. I'm, I'm sorry they just are <laughs> but they to me they needed they needed an alternate home jersey they need an alternate white i'd like to see a throwback again to the, i think the late 60s jersey yeah what um, about we had before what about like a or even a new twist i love how um bemidji state did this a couple of years ago like around that time 2013 14 uh where they had like a cream color jersey that kind of off-white antique type thing and i just think that if the huskies you know especially i you know if you have white or cream and then black and red those are three colors that you can do quite a bit with you know it's not a color palette that really hinders you in any sort of way so um i I definitely agree with you there nick um let's move into our uh double minor giveaway and see which fans did actually earn uh their rightful place as apparel winners for the huskies warming house podcast this week we have 334 names that are eligible to be drawn in this drawing nick so Let's get right to it and see who's going to win number one here. Asher Kitchings one is going to be our first winner of a Huskies warming house podcast t-shirt. Um, I guess not exactly familiar with that follower, but um, I mean, we're not familiar with every one of our followers, Nick. Uh, it is important to mention too. I think this maybe is a good time as well. Uh, we are hopefully in the process of soon, maybe ordering some more of those larger sizes for the t-shirts. We've been selling out of a lot of XL sizes. That's a good thing um, that we're getting those. I shouldn't say selling out. We've been giving away a lot of XL. So congratulations to Asher Kitchings one. Uh, you are our first winner and our second winner in our double minor giveaway Oh, he's already won before. I do not know why he's in the list. Uh, no, he hasn't. He's won a hat. I actually lied. How about this? This is our second winner that has won both a hat and a t-shirt. It is at bub 10 K um, winning uh, Huskies warming house podcast t-shirt. Nick, I, I don't, I don't know what the, what the deal is with those. It, some people just luck of the draw. I don't know. We, you don't even have a t-shirt yourself. Are you a little bit upset by this? I think we had this conversation off here. I'm, I'm a little triggered by this because, <laughs> you know, but I do have old school Husky over here. You can't touch that one. I'm well, sorry. Nick, so. I'm sorry. We didn't order extra smalls for you. This is true, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 there's a guy's extra big in a lot of, you know, Husky hockey uh, fans hearts. So I was All very, I was very worried to see where you were going with there until I, you finished the rest of the sentence. I'm just going to put it that way. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a PG podcast, uh, but a guy that was uh, um, very candid with us joining us uh, this week for Sunrise View News and Notes, uh, a very good friend of the show and someone we were excited to have on for his uh, wealthful knowledge and realism of Minnesota wild hockey and the National Hockey League. In our Sunrise View News and Notes segment, Derek Felska joins us here for Sunrise View News and Notes. 
Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View News and Notes, Noah Grant, Nick Maxson, and joining us especially today is Derek Feltska. Derek, thank you, and welcome to uh, the Center SB News and Oaks. I think for a big bucket of NHL news to, to go through, lots of Minnesota Wild Talks, certainly. Uh, but Noah, first, before we get into some more detailed conversations, uh, first of all, hockey's back, right? So I think that's the big thing we need to cover first. NHL officially announcing its return starting January 13th, 56-game uh, schedule, uh, some of the main pieces there, but also some other changes to come through. Uh, uh, Noah, what, why don't you get our listeners up to speed as to the NHL coming back finally in 2021? Sure. The NHL is getting ready to come back. And don't forget, before we do jump to that, Nick, uh, we have Huskies hockey on the docket as well, as you know. Women's hockey back in action this weekend, January 9th in Minnesota and January 10th at home against the Gophers. They're two and four on the year, getting ready for their seventh and eighth games, respectively, on the season. And men's hockey, uh, we're recording this Saturday, January 2nd, in a late night edition here, getting ready for our Sunday release here. And men's hockey just suffering that overtime loss against Duluth. Uh, maybe let's touch on that very, very quickly before we do jump into NHL action. I, the St. Cloud State Huskies, I, I don't know, a very up and down game is probably the best way that I can put it. Derek, I don't know if you got a chance to check out bits and pieces of that or kind of get the, the get the game notes or the recap. Uh, I mean, was there anything that stuck out to you as far as the Huskies? Or even before that, maybe just coming off of the pod, I mean, what did you like, didn't like from the Huskies? Anything you noticed in particular? Well, it's sort of kind of like what your recap kind of focused on is the fact that they started off really kind of slow, kind of reminded me of Team USA against Russia, kind of where the first 10, 12 minutes or so, you know, they just didn't have their legs underneath them. And uh, overall, the Bulldogs were dominating the play. And then eventually uh, they managed to get the equalizer and get things settled. And then, of course, the the kind of controversial, not so great major that helped them today. They took advantage of it, but unfortunately, they just didn't seem to have the gas in the tank to finish it off. Yeah, we're going to have to touch on some World Junior action as well, too. Uh, we'll probably hit on that pretty pretty heavy next week, maybe, Nick, when everything's all said and done. Nick, uh, real quick before we jump to the National Hockey League, uh, anything that stuck out to you from the Huskies as they get ready for game two uh, today slash tomorrow, if you will? I think just, you know, poise with the puck was lacking in this game big time. You know, talk about, and it's a symptom of being slow, right? When you don't have your legs underneath you, you start to panic. You start to, the ice just becomes a lot smaller in your brain. So I just think that everything kind of, you know, rolled over as a runaway train for the Huskies in tonight's game. And unfortunately, uh, just as Derek said, just especially in the overtime period, they were out of gas. They couldn't get the puck off the ice in the offensive zone. Uh, UMD, again, as I mentioned before, uh, took advantage of that, able to get a good shot and pass right. There was really nothing the much you could do about it and uh, Huskies unfortunately falling over time. We'll hit more heavily on this topic on Tuesday with our Healthy Scratch interview segment. Head coach of the men's team, Brett Larson, will join us. And that means that because we're going to talk Huskies hockey a little bit later, we're going to talk heavily about the National Hockey League and the big news, as you mentioned. January 13th is the start date. 56 games on the docket. I like that 56-game schedule in general. I think the NHL plays probably about 10 to 15 too many games, if you ask me. Uh, four divisions that the teams will be split in and obviously split in more differently than normal. You have that all-north division up across the Canadian border that will get set to play should be a, um, a bloodbath. I would, I don't know anything else to describe it as, um, and the regular season will conclude on May 8th and the top four teams from each division will make the postseason with interdivisional play through the first two rounds. So that means that uh, you won't actually see an opponent outside your division unless you make the conference final. Uh, this is followed by the Seattle Kraken expansion draft on July 21st, as well as a host of other things. Uh, Canada, as we mentioned, the North division gave the green light for the NHL training camps to resume up there in Alberta. Alberta was the first province to approve all games through the season. Uh, and another interesting one, as uh, Lake Louise was kind of on the docket for this for the National Hockey League, the NHL was kind of planning some sort of outdoor venue or uh, essentially a pretty venue uh, to host two outdoor games this year. And it seems like the golf course at Lake Tahoe in Nevada, February 20th and 21st is going to be where that's going to take place. Colorado and Vegas has the first matchup followed by Boston and Philadelphia. Uh, and the contest will be limited to 400 people, and that's including the teams 
teams, the personnel, the media, and all TV personnel who hope to utilize drone cameras in game for this contest. So uh, should be an interesting look. Nick, um, is, is there is there anything that uh, kind of surprises you about that outdoor game? I know there a bit that game in Carolina was canceled. Uh, does it surprise you that the NHL is kind of going back in the other direction as far as I wouldn't say COVID protocol is concerned, but just general general state of the world and sporting events? Uh, no, no, I really shouldn't surprise anybody. Honestly, the, the draw for the NHL is really, really big, especially on the winter classics and the stadium series, uh, especially in a shortened season. And then certainly with revenue being tight across the NHL, uh, trying to get them any sort of exposure. And again, they're up to a very big us TV market deal coming um, after this season. So they want to make an impression on multiple networks and they're going to try to use a little ingenuity too. Um, Lake Louise, I think would have been an absolutely gorgeous site, but if you can't get it across the border, Lake Tahoe is a really nice close second. I like, the matchups um it's going to be weird with the travel and of course with ice conditions again the one that we've noted uh throughout the, the nhl doing these types of games if there's sunlight involved that tends to be the biggest you know so if they're going to be a backup plan in case the weather conditions uh don't align so that would be sort of the opposite side of the coin is if the weather conditions don't allow them to do it you know then you're talking about a colossal failure so i'm not surprised that i'm actually putting this on if it works it might be great but if there's some complications it could also spell uh, bad things for the league as well Never thought that I would ever see a hockey game on a golf course. Let's just put it that way. I also never thought I would see the NHL and their newest rule change. And Derek, I want to get your opinion on this one. Uh, the NHL has changed the offside rule. Uh, formerly before this uh, upcoming season, it used to be where to be onside, uh, if you know anything about when you're looking at the blue line on the ice, the defining edge or the last edge when you enter the zone, your skate had to be on the ice and you had to essentially drag the line, if you will, to be onside. Now they've changed it where as long as any part of your blade or foot is behind that plane, that defining edge, you are still onside. So it kind of means that players don't really have to hold up that extra half second to make sure that that close play is on side. Derek, I mean, I feel like this is a welcome change in the game of hockey, something I think a lot of hockey players have really pined for, because I don't know if it makes a lot of difference in the play. Uh, what was your reaction when you first kind of heard the NHL change, and is it a good one? I think it's a good one. Uh, personally, anything that cuts down uh, the amount of time that they spend doing going through replays, and especially that <laughs> one was always one that was incredibly frustrating because – there might be replaying something that happened a minute and a half before the actual goal is scored. And I always felt that was kind of cheap. You know, yeah. it was undetectable effectively <laughs> unless there was a video guy seeing it. And to me, it kind of kills the actual, like, you know, bad calls and controversies, a part of sport. And if you're going to slow things up to where, you know, it's split second, I think that's kind of hokey to, insist you did the right thing I th it, to me it goes against the spirit of sport so i'm happy to see a change like this because it should reduce the amount of those kinds of replays now no i i think we should clarify too this is only on zone entries if it is a delayed offside you still have to make contact with your skate on the blue line so that part is still the same it's only on the initial zone entry um i'm with derek on this one i think every hockey player would be with in this one whether your foot is touching the ice or it's up in the air it's still in the same spot effectively uh, you're keeping the speed of the game up and again you're, you're taking away some of these uh nonsense challenge calls and then again with the video even with the camera right on the blue line derek you can attest to this uh the video quality wasn't always so great news never really conclusive way you could tell if the skate was touching the ice was it just off the ice it just it made things so much more complicated it's a welcome change. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see the game benefit from it as well. I like how Derek mentioned as well, too, about, you know, it, it's not it's not like a goal line review, you know, or someone kicking the puck in the net. It's something that really it, it could go theoretically 19 minutes and 59 seconds or a little less than that before it actually affects the play. It's one of those things that I, again, I think a lot of players, they're still going to kind of hold their bodies and hold up at the line. So I don't think you're going to have any problems with that defining edge, you know, being the difference of the blade of steel or not. I think guys are going to be still be definitive about trying to be on side. And I think it's a very, very welcome change as well. Let's run through some national hockey league notes. Uh, we haven't really talked about any sort of national hockey in the past few weeks or so so there were a couple of big signings uh one trade and a couple of retirements to get to before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the show which derek will help us out talking about the future of the minnesota wild in this covid related season uh speaking of the minnesota wild two former wild players and mikhail granlin and eric halla both inked one-year deals with the nashville predators halla at one year's 1.75 million and mikhail granlin coming off of a couple of down years if you will 
a $3.7 million single year pact as well. 352 points in 540 career games for Mikhail Granlund. Uh, the one that kind of uh, was a signing that uh, has some other implications here, Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets signed a two-year $10 million pact uh, with the sole purpose really of letting the Blue Jackets figure out a trade for him. 49 points in 70 games played last year. He wants out uh, of Columbus. And we, this really isn't the first time we've seen this song and dance in Columbus with Sergei Bobrovsky, with Artemi Panarin. It just seems like that management group has a really, really tough time keeping players uh, in that group, which is tough for Columbus fans that have had a couple of teams that have been on the cusp of doing some real damage. Uh, Derek, I mean, are you kind of surprised to see this relationship soured? I mean, do you think this happens to do with the coaching happens to do with the management? Uh, you know, what is going on in Columbus? I think there's a lot of reasons for the wanderlust that kind of happens. I think it's kind of similar to Minnesota too. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a Midwestern market that for a lot of, you know, in the, in the hockey landscape of things, it's often kind of forgotten. And I think if you're a player that's hoping to market themselves and attract endorsements and things like that, Columbus, Minnesota, they, that's not a real sexy place to be. And you want to be in the bigger communities like Artemi Pernarin, you know, he was really the classic example. They went all in hoping that he would stick around, but no, he, he wanted bigger and better opportunities. And he obviously now has that being with the Rangers. And, you know, I, I think maybe that's probably where Pierre-Luc Dubois is from. I think, I think playing for John Tortorella is a grind mentally because you have to play his way. Otherwise he makes it really tough on you and he's not going to compromise. <laughs> he plays it, you know, it's his style or the high, you know, or you're going to sit and, and we've seen it with a number of different players over the years where I think it just kind of grinds on you. And maybe he kind of sees that he doesn't want to stick around for that. And being a person who's an important player, he has the leverage to maybe try to get his way out of there. Yeah, it makes me think of that, that year. It wasn't it, I believe, the year that uh, they ousted the Lightning in four games where they pretty much just handed away draft picks for the sole purpose of essentially trying to make a cup run with Panarin's last stand, if you will. Uh, a team that... Uh, um, that we just mentioned, the Tampa Bay Lightning has made some moves as well. Uh, just fresh off of winning a Stanley Cup, Anthony Sorelli, the kind of the bigger piece that was left on the docket for them, signed to a three-year $14.4 million deal about a week and a half ago. And they also were involved in the only trade. Uh, Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette were sent the other way to the Ottawa Senators for a second-round pick. Of course, uh, Kucherov is on the long-term reserve as well for the Lightning, so it makes things a little bit easier cap-wise uh, regarding a guy like Tyler Johnson. Uh, it's Speaking of the Senators, a team that uh, I suppose say what you want about Eugene Melnick, but he's made some pretty sneaky moves this offseason. I kind of, I I don't know, maybe turning this team around. I guess we'll have to wait and see, but the Sens have been a basement dweller for quite a long time for the past couple of years. Uh, Derek, you have an interesting story of yourself back in uh, the Ottawa Senators' heydays, if you will. Uh, Do you mind filling the listeners in on that a little bit? Yeah, um, it was back in... uh the spring of 2004, my wife and I decided for whatever reason to go do spring break in Quebec. (laughs) And, uh, so we flew to Quebec and, uh, a two hour flight turned into a six and a half hour flight because we flew into a blizzard, which is a great way to fly into Canada. And we ended up driving because our, we drew, we, well, we landed in Ottawa de-ice then went took off again and landed in Montreal and then had a two hour drive to Quebec city. But anyways, one of the things we did while we were there is we wanted to catch a Montreal Canadiens game because we had heard that if, if it's, it's one of those bucket list places where they say, if you're going to go see hockey, you better go see it there. And it was unbelievable. Um, so we're in there. I'm with my Montreal Canadiens sweater and we're watching this game and, Montreal is getting beat by Ottawa because Ottawa is one of the top teams in the East at the time. And no, with all due respect to high school foreign language teachers, I only had two years of high school French and that really wasn't getting me too far in, in, in the bell center. Uh, I, I knew what goal was. I knew a handful of other phrases, but not much. And uh, about midway through the third period, a guy was sitting next to us and he, he, 
we were talking to him because he was an Ottawa fan. I could actually converse with this. And about way through, he took my shoulder and he said, do you want to meet the players? <laughs> I'm like, shut up. He's like, yeah, I'm going to see the players right at the team, going right down to the locker room. You want to come with me? And I'm thinking like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I look at my wife and, and he's like, well, she can't come in. I'm like, I'm like, well, obviously a woman can't walk into the, the locker room. So I'm like, I look at my wife and I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know, go for it. And I'm like, okay, so the game's over. They lost uh, Ottawa one for nothing. And we start walking into the bowels of Bell Center. And I'm thinking I'm going to find out that this guy's like going to try to like rob me. He's going to like take out a knife and mug me or whatever. But I'm like, hey, I only got like $30 Canadian. So like what, 15 bucks. So <laughs> anyways, <laughs> go ahead and mug me. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we get to this uh, security guard and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to find out this guy's a phony here. And she's like, okay, you can go through. And pretty soon we're through and we're down by the bus. And they're like, well, they're coming out of the locker room. And so the players start trickling out. And apparently what this guy did was he did memorabilia. So he ran like a card shop or memorabilia store. So he knew all these players by first name. And so this is all about schmoozing clients really is what he's doing. And so what he did was, is he him and two other buddies of his would meet and greet each of the players. And they'd be like, see these two people. They always Minnesota just to watch. And they're like, Oh yeah. So then they'd be like, Hey, how about you get a handshake with them? How about you get autograph something for them? And so it was kind of like a little like meet and greet line. And we ended up meeting most of the players and stuff. And it was pretty cool. Um, the best guys to talk to are the goons. So Rob Ray, who was on the team, who had the biggest hands I've ever seen, like giant meat claws um, and a complete cement head. Like <laughs> you're just looking at him. You're like, I don't even want to think about punching that guy in the head. It would shatter my hand in a second. Um, and then uh, Chris Neal was also a pretty big talker. Um, so they talked to us the most, but we had other guys. I talked to Marion Hosa. Um, probably the most hilarious one was Antoine Vermette. He was a rookie. And they must have played a prank on him because he like goes, just wait a minute. And he ran on the bus because they all had this chicken. And he ran on the bus to put it in, in this bus. And then he came back out just to talk to us, which we, we could tell there were guys in the in the bus like laughing or whatever. So I'm sure they they, they, they told him something. So it was kind of a rookie prank. But, hey, I even have proof of it. I even have proof of it. So this is not just me talking. You can see my wife and me um, – with different pictures of different guys. And um, again, I had, if I had not talked to this person, I never would have known this person was going to go meet the team. He certainly did not look like a guy that would know an NHL team by any sense. And you know, about 20 minutes of meet and greet of all these players. Then they're like, okay, you go to the arena. And we're like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> So, so you never know sometimes. So you're the sole reason why Anton Vermette slashed that ref. You got him out of his shell, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, he was so he was so disappointed. <laughs> he slashed the person. That's uh, yeah, that's actually incredible. Oh, Nick man. Nick, have you have you ever been to the Bell Center by chance? I, it's pretty much the, the mecca of the hockey world. So I didn't know if uh, if you've ever been yourself. I've never been. So no, there there were talks when I was with uh, TSN to get me up to Montreal to do a, a pregame with uh, you know when the Wild were up there. That never actually came through, but uh, it is definitely on my bucket list. Um, I've been uh, to a couple of Canadian cities, but not actually witnessed a game inside a Canadian ice arena. Uh, but plenty uh, here in the U.S. So, but it's definitely uh, I have to do maybe a Canadian road tour once they open the borders which maybe might happen in 2031 who knows <laughs> yeah i yeah. we definitely i think have to take a road trip together nick i gotta say it's uh um I barely handed you on here so we'll <laughs> talk about it <laughs> all right well then then we'll rip through these last two topics before we get to some minnesota wild news here a uh, handful of players i uh, probably more than usual given the scope of the nhl landscape this year have su have been signed to professional tryout offers including uh mike hoffman he was our ufa leader with 29 goals last season uh, he's headed to st louis and the reason uh it's really a tryout right now for him as opposed to some of these other guys like michael delzato is he's a guy who's going to get signed by a team there's no doubt about this and the blues are probably on the list but they have to wait 
because uh, the departure of Alex Steen means that that $5.7 million that Alex Steen is owed will be off the books, but they have to wait until opening day to actually relieve that contract. So they might not actually sign him until opening night and then they'll place him on the roster as normal. So interesting to see where Mike Hoffman goes as we have talked about him quite extensively through various portions of different shows. Uh, a couple of retirements as well to note as well. One guy who didn't retire is Zidane Ochara moving into a Washington Capitals jersey. That should be a very, very interesting treat for fans. But Ryan Callahan, uh, a longtime Ranger moving into Tampa Bay in the later part of his career, uh, retired after 13 seasons, 757 games and 121 playoff appearances. He retired uh, due to a back injury that pretty much kept him out of all last year. And uh, the only fix is really to get his back fused and he can't play hockey with that anyway. So he's done. Um, seven years, like we mentioned with the blue shirts before trading, being traded for Marty St. Louis in that big trade in 2014. Mark Letestu also retiring 567 games over 11 seasons, as well as Derek England, who was the first captain of the Vegas Golden Knights, 11 seasons and 671 games for him as well. Lastly, a guy that we don't know if he's going to retire after this season or not, but we'll have to see where life takes him. 38-year-old Henrik Lundqvist, as we mentioned uh, in last episode, will not play uh, this season due to a heart condition. And we just found out that he will undergo open heart surgery featuring an aortic valve replacement, if I can spit my words out here normally. So best of luck to Henrik uh, in, in his future endeavors this season, and we wish him the best in health and recovery. Speaking of health and recovery in the state of a franchise, the Minnesota Wild, as we mentioned, are in the West Division with Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Los Angeles, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. And Derek, this is where you get to rise and shine, if you will, and kind of fill us in on some Minnesota Wild stuff. Uh, um, we have a couple of listener questions here to kind of talk about the state of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, maybe let's start with probably the brightest addition uh, that Minnesota has had to offer. Uh, Marco Rossi, uh, the big pick for the Wild in this year's draft, as well as a pretty good draft overall for Minnesota. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm around these young kids. Uh, you know, Kevin Fiala, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Nick, I like how you're laughing at my lisping. I love it. Uh, Matthew Boldy and Marco Rossi. Um, the big question is, you know, what makes this different than the last time with Mikhail Granlin, Jason Zucker, you know, Charlie Coyle, Nino Niederreiter, um, you know, what makes this group different and, you know, who's going to be that standout player that's going to make the biggest jump for us this season, in your opinion, Derek? Well, I think the easy one is it's Kirill Kaprizov for sure. Um, he's, he's the only one that I think is a sure thing. He's going to be on the roster He's going to play a lot, no matter how much he struggles. Um, I think everybody else, um, it's more of a, at best, 50-50 if they're going to get a chance to, to to show what they can do with the team. Marco Rossi, while I think there's a lot of people that want to see him get that opportunity, I think that the team is going to be very careful with him. And since he does have the option to play in Europe, um, I think I think that's what where they're going to – strongly you know because i mean big part of that it says do you really want to start his entry level contract six games to figure that out and then after six games you start the first year of his his three-year entry-level deal are we really ready to compete right now i don't think so so i would be hesitant to want to burn a year just for the sake of burning a year i think you want to be careful with that maybe give him a little taste a cup of coffee so to speak but then after that, I, I would probably send him back to, to play in, in, in the Swiss National League, which is a good league, a really good league. I, I tend to agree with most of that. Uh, the only thing to me with Marco Rossi might be uh, where uh, Marcus Johansson is at center. I, I think that, yeah. again, that's not his natural position. Nope. Um, he's definitely more of a winger. And where Marco Rossi might earn his spot is – you know, he's going to get definitely a really nice look at camp. And if they like how Marco Rossi is in between some wingers, and if they feel like Johansson is better on the wing, he might get that by default. And I just think that, again, um, I, I think in a normal situation, uh, Derek, I, I'm with you 100% just because um, he's physically mature, which is good. Um, yep. But I know his skating definitely needs and maybe a stride or two to get better. And the mm -hmm. Swiss League is definitely more of that, you know, high tempo, high flying style, which would definitely help him improve his skating. But um, to me, there's a kicker there with Marco Rossi that I think could almost force the Minnesota Wilds hand per se to, to maybe keep him for this year. And again, one year off of his um, in the time like this, I'm like, it's going to kill him. No. Is, yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, I mean, while 
opinion, especially if you feel like you said, there's not, you know, viable top six centers to really push him out of that. I still think that if you want him to play uh, a top, if you want him to do and live up to his potential, he really needs to be used in a top six role. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think putting him on the third or fourth lines and giving him uh, lesser minutes in, in a different kind of role is really the best way to do it. I think they want him in a top six role, no matter what it might be. And he, you know, to me, I would think unless he really shows something that I'll be honest, I did not really see quite as much. It was, I mean, it was tough to see anything out of team Austria during world juniors because they were just so overmatched and he really didn't have any real line mates that were really at his caliber, so to speak. Um, But at the same time, I, I still think he would have to demonstrate that he can be, capable enough to, to handle that pretty much tri- i just no you're right P- pretty much pretty much trial by fire i mean is, is mm-hmm. the best way to put that um mm-hmm. and, and i'm glad we kind of talked about that lack of talent at that one center position right now uh you know guys like caprizov and obviously hoping for kevin fiala to repeat the success he had at the tail end of last year um if if you know kirill caprizov and kevin fiala if they're on the same line together um, you know, are they enough to offset, you know, that lack of depth at that center position, Nick, you're shaking your head. I have to tend to agree with you. I, I just don't think you can replace the ability to have a number one center, having a pivot that does so many things. It's just crucial. Um, so Nick, I guess maybe I'll ask you this question then, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, we're hoping for a breakout, uh, impressive year from the start from him. Uh, does Kevin Fiala return to form or does Kevin Fiala, does he have enough, skill and game breaking ability to carry this team a little bit more and still be the star that he was last year, or does he regress a little bit with this, uh, this jumbled around lineup that we're seeing? It's yes. And no, um, yes, he's going to return to form, but no, you again, this is at the national hockey league. You have to be good no matter where you're at, but not one person is going to carry your team. Um, the Minnesota Wilds should know this. They've had 20 years of history to, to prove it. So even with Marion Gabrick, it just wasn't enough. Um, it, to me, you know, going back to your original question, if you're going to have Fiala and Kaprizov on the same line, is that electric? Absolutely. But it makes you top heavy too. So, you know, if I'm Dean Evison too, you almost want to see if you can spread your wealth a little bit, maybe split them up into two different lines, uh, but you might have to put them on the same line just because again, you don't have, again, um, I, I would almost call a new age center, right? Back even 10 years ago, Miko Koivu was the, you know, the epitomate center, the guy who was going to be the defensively responsible guy, the setup guy. But now you have guys like Jonathan Taves and even more so Elias Pedersen of Vancouver who not only can set up but they also can shoot the puck so they have that offensive ability as well Minnesota just hasn't had that at the position for well pretty much since their inception so um, I, I think they're they're going to see a, a, a nice boost in scoring um, I like the Wilds defensive core to help them out with that but again you, you need more depth and the Wilds just simply when you take away the top six to me that bottom six just isn't enough the addition of uh, Nick Benino and, uh, of course, Nick Bukestad, and then you add uh, Johansson on that first line right now. Um, you know, some people are kind of, you know, wishy-washy about these contracts, for, for lack of a better term, as well as the Matt Zuccarello contract. Uh, Derek, in your opinion, uh, especially looking back to Bill Guerin's time as GM and the signings here as well, I mean, are there some contracts that you feel maybe or trades that probably shouldn't have happened? I know it was tough to lose Luke Cunning, but is Nick Benino the right move for this group? Um, is Matt Zuccarello actually doing okay in his contract statistically compared to what people kind of razz him for? Um, uh, I guess I don't really know the answer, but are there some contracts that besides the Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi contracts that you look at those and you're like, yeah, I don't know if this was the right move by Bill Guerin or his predecessor. Well, since you kind of mentioned it there, uh, Matt Zuccarello deal was Paul Fenton for sure. And that was, I, I, I mean, I know, I know it, Craig Leopold's didn't say it, but I think a lot of people felt like that may have been the reason he got fired, even though they didn't say it. I mean, I know he had, he had personal problems with people and uh, made life in the office miserable and uh, wasn't necessarily the, didn't treat people the best, but that was a, that was a, that was a move that just reeked of desperation of trying to sign somebody to sign somebody and we way overpaid and we gave him a no movement clause, which was insane. Um, and unfortunately, the deal was made. And there isn't really too much you can do with it. Uh, as far as Nick Benino goes, um, 
that was an interesting move just because a lot of people were hoping that maybe if Luke Cunning could be a person that could maybe emerge into a player that might be able to fit into that maybe second line center role if given the opportunity with the right people. Um, Nick Benino is a very versatile player, though. Uh, he was actually pretty darn productive in a third-line role with the Nashville Predators and was an important secondary scorer for them. I don't think – I think it is definitely plausible that he could end up being a top-six center for us. Now, does that mean that he totally deserves it? No, it might be more by default, but he is a player that's capable. Um he can be used in a penalty killing role as well. So there's a lot of versatility there. He's the kind of player that I actually think, uh, depending on how it works out, either he'll be a very tempting deadline trade option, or he'll also be a tempting person to keep around because he's kind of a, he's kind of a Swiss army knife. Um, and there's always, there's always a lot of value in a player that can do multiple different things. Cause Right now, I mean, the only other person internally that we, the Wild, really have is Joel Erickson Eck. And while he's a very capable defensive center, the offense is really, you know, does he, would he be able to produce enough to play in a top six role? And I don't think we've seen anything that would, I don't think we've seen enough to say that that's a, that's a for sure thing. He may have been drafted that way, but the, the, the career development at least hasn't turned out that way. He, he scores well in the AHL, but th that doesn't happen in the NHL level. So, you know, right now, like you said, there's just a lack of certainty of who's going to end up playing those top six center roles and how much time is Kevin Fiala and Kapril Kaprizov going to be spending trying to track down the puck because <laughs> they're not winning draws and they don't have a, cap a competent center. And that might make this season kind of frustrating, especially for them. You know, a guy that can play center and wing, as we mentioned, was Nick Bukestad as well. Uh, and part of the reason that they might slot him into their position was the departure of Ryan Donato, who I guess, from my personal opinion, I thought uh, for some of his underlying statistics, never really got a good crack at the lineup, but is a guy that put, could potentially be a 20-goal scorer for the San Jose Sharks if, again, put in the right role. I, I want to get your quick thoughts. Uh, the Nick Bukestad trade, yay or nay? And then uh, Ryan Donato, yay or nay? As far as Nick Bukestad goes, I mean, it was kind of a salary dump uh, where we're, I mean, they, they, they're paying uh, Jim Rutherford and the Penguins are paying half his salary. So obviously they wanted to move on from him to get themselves a little bit of space. I think for Nick Bukestad, he has to kind of realize this is probably his last chance uh, or pretty close to it. So it's in his best interest to step up and perform. The biggest thing for Nick Bukestad um, and it seemed, might seem strange when you're talking about a player that's six foot five is can he show the durability? Cause injuries have pretty much, you know, undermined most of his potential, at least in terms of production. I mean, he, he has a lot of talent. He moves very well for a person of his size, but staying healthy is his biggest issue. It just has been. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Nick, let's kick it over to you. Uh, who gets the C this year for the Minnesota Wild? Um, I know we've kicked around a couple of names. For me, the front runner is probably Jared Spurgeon. Is Jared Spurgeon the guy, or are people going to have an uproar if Zach Parise or Ryan Suter don't have that A switch to a C? They're not going to get it number one, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, I would say either Jared Spurgeon or Marcus Foligno. I think Marcus Foligno is a, definitely a, a guy that rat, you know kind of riles the troops. Uh, he's a well-liked teammate um, for his role that he has. He's, he's, he's incredible what he does. He's physical. He's fast. Uh, he fork checks well, but he just he's a very good leadership role inside that locker room. Um, but I still think I'm with you that the edge does go to Jared Spurgeon. Um, but I would not be surprised if Marcus Foligno was not in the top two as far as uh, the C is concerned. One guy that's a great leader in this locker room, but probably won't get the C, although uh, has done some really great things as far as community involvement has been concerned is Matt Dumba, but it doesn't make things any easier as far as the trade block is concerned. Uh, Derek, does Matt Dumba get moved? Uh, this season and if so what is he worth and is Zach Parisi also on the docket as well or is that is that trade option pretty much next unless someone comes calling uh as far as Matt Dumba goes I I definitely think he's on the block regardless because of the amount of money that they've spent on their blue line uh they're over 27 million dollars between their top four and that really is a 
tough number to sustain if you want to spend any money for the other parts of your team that you need. Um, and I think also with the fact that they do have a young, promising offensive defenseman that fits as a projected top four defenseman on the way, that's a way to save money. All, all good teams find ways to uh, integrate younger players and save themselves some money on the roster by doing that. Um, unfortunately, that's a very well-known fact and all the other teams in the league know this. So no one is going to give us probably top value what it really should be because they know we've spent, we, we've spent what we have and we're, it's, they know we want to sell, so they're not going to offer us very much. And I think that's why this summer, the offers that were given towards Matt Dumba were pretty underwhelming as, a uh, Bill Guerin, he barely did, you know, you could tell he was almost annoyed by how bad they were, but yeah, everyone knows you need to sell. So everyone's going to act like they're not that interested, even though they very much are, you know, the, the place I was really hoping they were going to deal into was Vegas because I thought I was hoping that because they have some young uh, centers that would help us uh, accelerate whatever you want to call it, our reshaping, if that's what you want to call it, instead of a rebuild, um, with younger players, but uh, uh, Vegas didn't want to mess around and they went for Alex Peter Angelo instead. And so I don't think you're going to get a deal out of them, but there's still some teams out there that you could think that he would be an attempt at, he would be a, an attractive asset, but I think it's going to be still a pretty tough sell. As far as Zach Parisi, um, me personally, I would have zero problem with him being moved. I'm kind of tired of him, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and I don't want to see him as a C either, especially if you're talking about a need to change the culture. I think that would be counterproductive if you're trying to change the culture to give Zach Parisi the C or, or Ryan Suter the C, because that's, to me, that was the country club that you were referencing all the time. But anyways, uh, as far as Parisi goes, the, the one uh, possibility, of course, is, is the Islanders. And if somehow Lula Amarillo gets sentimental and goes, oh, God, I love Zach and he wants him back. You know, we just saw, actually, they just brought back Corey Schneider, which, what? <laughs> Why would you re-sign Corey Schneider? <laughs> He's, he was horrible. But Lou Lamorello maybe felt some kind of sentimentality there and wanted to bring him to the Islanders. I'm not sure, but that's the only chance. But the island, the Islanders in their, their own cap crunch, and they're really trying to lock down Matt Barzal, which they absolutely have to because he really is – he really is their star. He's their superstar without question. He's an amazing player. I wish we could get Matt Marzal. And, you know, a couple things to know. So, uh, this particular season, this trade deadline is different, right? Because you have the Seattle expansion, which means yep. if you're going to, as a GM, looking to acquire a player, right? And if you're going to give up an asset or two, whether the significant or not to either one of you or I is irrelevant, if you're going to try to spend it to get a player you want, then you're going to have to protect them. Right. One of the things that Minnesota wants to do too, is with Matt Dumba, that's one movement clause that you can get rid of. Uh, number yep. two, at the end of it, that puts Minnesota in a position right now. They have what five or six already no movement clauses that are on their books. Five. Yep. They five. have five. So you're already kind of hand tied in itself. So if and you're three of to- those are, three of those are defensemen already. Correct. Yeah, three of those are defensemen. So when you talk about Bill Guerin's hands being tied almost this offseason, it almost is. And you had a perfect explanation, Derek. Uh, These GMs know that we're in a hands-tied situation. And the one thing that Bill Guerin needs to do, what Paul Fenton unfortunately wasn't, is he's got to be patient. Um, There might be a team um, that, whether it comes to the trade deadline, it might up the stakes if they're really looking to maybe make a move and they think he's a missing piece. Or you're going to have to wait till the expansion draft comes along, see if somebody's willing to waive it, one, Two, if someone gets picked up or, you know, wants to, you know, make him part of another package. I don't know. There's so many things that Vegas did underneath the table. Um, part of that expansion draft that, that really, you know, kind of tailored the game into their hand per se. Um, but, you know, it's very, very difficult right now for any team to move big assets right now because of that fear that you're not going to a, be able to hold on to them. And two, you're not going to get the value for them if you're the team that's selling. Yep. Speaking of contracts, too, that turn sour, I, I 
maybe the last specific question we have before we kind of touch on the team itself and where they're going to end up in the standings here uh, is the goaltending piece, obviously bringing in uh, Cam Talbot this year and getting rid of Devin Dubnik, which that contract, that six-year deal look, looked okay for the first half of it and then really started to go south, especially last year. And Dubnik, for a team that's very defensive heavy in front of him, his underlying numbers were still very poor, even with a very good defensive core in front of him. Uh, shipped off to San Jose uh, around the same time as Ryan Donato, same day, actually. Um, so uh, with that, and then obviously the up and coming youngster in uh, Capo Kakinen, um, you know, what does the goaltending situation look like for the wild? Obviously you've got Andrew Hammond that signed because of the Alex Stalock injury. Uh, is Cam Talbot a guy that's going to be re reliable enough for the Minnesota wild? And do the Iowa wild stay patient on Capo Kakinen and the Minnesota wild, or does he get a lot of time in net for this group this year, Derek? Uh, I, th I think Cam Talbot's still going to get the lion's share of the starts. The one thing that will force Kapokakinen to get more starts than maybe he would have normally is because of the truncated season and the fact that you're going to end up with lots of like back-to-back -back situations. So from a, from a wear and tear standpoint, they'll probably give him some more starts because of that. Um, whereas if it was a normal 82 game season, that would probably be harder to come by and you'd have to question whether it's better served that he's going to be getting more starts by playing in Iowa. I think Hammond will be fine in Iowa. They have Hunter Jones there too, who's coming out a major junior. So in some ways that works out well because then Hunter Jones will be getting his feet wet and as a professional. Um, but Kapo Kockenen needs to get some starts. I think they still want to find out what they have in him. Uh, they only had what five starts with him last year. And he was, he's a reasonable, but again, that's way too small a sample size to sit there and say whether you have uh, an heir apparent number one goaltender on your hands or whether you're going to need somebody else in the future and he'll be a backup or something like that. On that note, Derek, uh, I, I think Kakinen's actually going to get more starts than we think. Um, I think Cam Talbot is a goalie. I mean, you look at his contract, three years, three and a quarter or what mm -hmm. so uh, for his contract. Uh, can't tell the proof that he actually can play some pretty good hockey. He almost single-handedly carried Calgary through with some of their playoff games. Uh, but the big notch on him has always been in his inconsistency. And I think uh, with, with Kakinen, that might open some doors for him. And it, again, at mm -hmm. some point, you're going to have to look at a, at a goaltender that was the reigning AHL goaltender of the year, mind you. And you're going to have to mm -hmm. get his feet wet in the National Hockey League. You're just going to have to. And mm -hmm. if I'm Bill Guerin, a small season, like you said, lots of back-to-back -back games, you know, why not? You know, you're going to have to baptize him at some point. Why not be now? Um, you're going to have a year burned off his contract. Um, and there's no better time to, you know, get him some exposure and to really see what he's made of than it is now. Because you, you take away Cam Talbot, Alex Daylock, again, his future is almost set that he's probably not going to be in a Minnesota Wild sweater for very much longer, even if he comes back from injury. Um, your future at the goalie position really is with Kako Kakinen right now. Um, I think they have to understand where he's at. Um, they think he really can be a, a, you know, a fixated number one goaltender in the national hockey league, or do they really have to take a deeper look at their goaltender depth and see, you know, is this the guy going to be, that's going to carry us over the hump or do we have to maybe go to free agency and look for somebody else or maybe through the draft? So um, I think the time is now. And I do think Kakin is going to get a pretty good share of the starts here coming this, uh, this shortened season. Should, uh, should be interesting, guys. Uh, uh, moving on to uh, the overall picture, if you will. And once again, Derek, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a blast having From you. Have, having you on the show. Um, Derek, I, sometimes I wonder if you're a Minnesota Wild fan, and you'll see where I'm going with this. <laughs> you'll see where I'm going this with this in a second. And I say that because you're like one of five total Minnesota Wild fans that like isn't afraid to be a realist about this team and say that they might suck this year. You're not optimistic like the rest of us and holding out for, for dear life that will somehow string together 20 wins in March and bring us to the, to the Holy land. Um, so you've got these teams in the West division, like we mentioned the top four teams in each division, regardless of, I mean, you could have a division that is, you know, loaded with teams that are much stronger than any other, any other division, but the top four teams are going regardless. So with Minnesota, again, Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Los Angeles, San Jose, St. Louis, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, kind of kind of a healthy mix there. I would say out of all the divisions to be in, uh, as far as the two Western divisions, probably the less worse one, I would say, if you're Minnesota, besides the fact that you do have a lot of travel involved here, they might sneak in, in my opinion, 
as the four team in this conference and maybe sneak into the playoffs. Nick, we'll start with you. The Minnesota Wild here, where do they end up in this group um, if they try? And should they tank and not try at all if they don't think that they have a chance at the playoffs here? Well, it's it's an intriguing team because there's actually some some things to actually look forward to. Again, Kaprizov, you know, is he going to adjust to the NHL style of game right away? Is he going to be that star? I think I kind of feel bad for the kid, honestly, because there's so much weight on his shoulders when he's coming over here. And again, it's just when you're going from a, a style of game over in Russia, that's all offense and no defense. It's not going to work here in the national hockey league. It just isn't. Now he's being paid to do one thing as to score goals. And we know he can do that. Uh, but don't think that, you know, NHL defensive systems are there not to design to try to thwart that as well. So, you know, does he adjust? Is he able to continue to power through it is, you know, again, Fiala, does he return to form? What's Minnesota look like at the center depth position? Uh, there's a, there's some hope there, but there's also a lot of, I think a lot of things have to go right. I'm with you i think this team is maybe a five or a four seed um i don't think they're the worst team in this group you have a lot of teams in a much deeper deeper rebuild such as san jose los angeles and i think arizona's in kind of that bottom tier so i think minnesota's better than those teams for sure but you also have st louis you have vegas you have a couple of teams that are going to be really really tough and let's not forget about colorado who might be the favorite out of this division uh with you know some of the star power that they have uh with you know kale mccarr and certainly nathan mckinnon uh on the front and back end for them as well so i think they're a middle of the pack team on paper but again for this team, a lot of things have to go right. They got a new goaltender, new rookies coming in. A lot of this has to come together and quickly. In a shortened season, it's going to have to because you can really fall behind early and not be able to catch up. So I see them as a middle of pack, and they're a bubble team for me to make the postseason. So I guess let's put it on the record here. Um, and again, they're going to play each of these teams about eight or nine times in the regular season here. Um, I believe eight teams in the division. So Nick, uh, if you had to give a number, uh, what place do the Minnesota Wild finish so we can see at the end of the year where they actually, how accurate or how dumb we really are? I think I already know how dumb we are, but we want to make sure we can confirm it here. <laughs> I'm going to go with five and just missing the playoffs. All right, fair enough. Uh, Mr. Falks, uh, the Minnesota Wild aficionado who... I will clarify is a Minnesota wild fan. He's with us. He's still, he's still on the team on the bandwagon, but uh, maybe, maybe on the trailer end, just, just hitching onto the hitch here, but uh, the Minnesota wild, uh, do they finish better than fifth? Where do you have them at and why? Uh, just to clarify, I'm in rehab, but anyways, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's how it feels. That's how it feels every year. Like you're in rehab. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I, I have to agree with Nick. I'm seeing fifth. I I personally think I you know you kind of you kind of hinted at it before Noah, but you know if you're gonna be bad, this is the year to be bad. Um, one, you're you're not gonna have fans, so you're not really the revenue part isn't gonna be great regardless, and you're gonna be playing games at terrible times probably for people to watch. And to me, this is the, the time to be bad if you want to take another step towards rebuilding. The optimistic wild fan would be like, well, look, we have all these people that are on the end of their, they only have one year deals. So there's a ton of motivated players to try to win another contract, whether with the wild or somebody else or an opportunity with somebody else. Will that make them a more motivated, you know, maybe chip on their shoulder that they've been counted out and they'll step up? Me personally, whether it's the Minnesota sports fan of me, I tend to look at things more negatively um, because that's just the nature of being a Minnesota sports fan. No. Uh, <laughs> no. But anyways, they – but but honestly, I I I just don't – I don't think, I think the center problem is going to dog them terribly and it's just going to be kind of a, a source of frustration. And for fans that at least have at least one little toe in the reality pool, they'll realize that this isn't about this year. It's about maybe the next three years or so start to reshape themselves into what they have and, those younger players, those people that have promise start to then step into those roles that, you know, right now you have all these guys with one year left on their deal to do. And so that's, that's kind of how I see it playing out. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would love to, I would love to feel bullish about this season. 
and I think it, it, I think it'll be fifth place. And even if they did get in, let's be honest, would you think you're, they're going to go anywhere after that? So what's the difference? Yeah. And I'm sick of that. We've been there, done that for so long. I don't see that as progress. I see that as regression. That's yeah. just my personal opinion. And the one time we got through it all, I have nightmares of Patty gaining a really bad stanchion at the Excel Energy Center. Yes. Um, <laughs> just just burn, burns and burns in my memory. I, okay, so we've got fifth place from Nick and Derek. Um, as much as I want them to make the playoffs, just because I like seeing playoff hockey, and I thought that the pod when, when the Wild were playing the Canucks in the play, entry playoffs, if you will, was very, very exciting. And I thought the Wild somewhat overperformed in a lot of aspects, especially with Alex Stalock in that series. Um, I'm going to go the other direction here. I think that um, the center depth is going to be big enough of an issue that it pushes them into sixth place. Um, I, I don't, I don't think honestly um, that enough of the pieces, it's almost like, it's almost like it's a puzzle. Um, it's always a puzzle, right? But it's a puzzle that you got at a thrift store and all the pieces are mostly there but someone's dog chewed on the edges of the pieces. So even if they fit, they're not quite sitting the way that they should. And that's what I see with this wild team. I think that the roster turnover and that sort of thing, um, we need that roster roster turnover, especially with the culture problem that we've had, but I think it's going to be a painful turnover. And I think that unless we have the adjustments from guys like Marco Rossi, Kuro Kaprizov that are able to take that step readily right away, or guys like Nico Sturm that come out of camp and just surprise people and really add to that depth that we're looking for and guys that are a one, two punch that you one, a one B, if you will. Um, I don't see this team going anywhere, but I think this will be a very, very pivotal year for the state of the franchise and seeing where we go for the next five years. So really, really excited uh, nonetheless to follow it all with both Nick and Derek, as well as the rest of our Minnesota wild and Huskies warming house fans. Um, Derek, thanks for joining us. Uh, Nick, do you have anything else to add? No, I, I mean, I think, again, this is a very intriguing season just because of, you know, obviously what 2020 was. Now we're in 2021. So thankfully that's all behind us, at least hopefully. Uh, but again, this team is, is it could surprise some people um, and maybe not necessarily in the best way. There's a lot of, you know, we're going to see a lot what this team has in terms of its young depth. Um, I think there's some pieces to be excited about, but we just don't have enough of those young, exciting pieces as of yet in some key positions. So I still think that there's still, you know, the, the while you mentioned a puzzle, I, I think of it was like a, a clay masterpiece. There's still some molding to be done. We're, we're getting towards where we think it's going to be a masterpiece, but we're still some things that we have to tweak. So um, I, I mean, it's going to be intriguing to watch uh, at nine, 10 o'clock at night for the puck drop of the first period, which is going to be great. Uh, but, at the, but at the end of it, no, um, you know, it's going to be boomer bust for this team. And I, it's going to be interesting to watch how they go through this 56 game season. Travel is going to be tough too. I forgot to mention that in my answer as well, Derek, um, we thank you for joining us. And I, and I want to mention the Huskies warming house podcast fans too. Uh, the first time that we got in contact with Derek was actually through Twitter. It just happened to be a mutual interest and you were nice enough to sit down for about three hours throughout your evening and kind of talk to us and kind of, let us know who you were and you've supported our show ever since. And, and I don't think that uh, we give you enough love, honestly, to, to, for what you do for us and our product, as well as not only us, as much as we appreciate it, because, you know, this is our show, but, um, you know, sound the foghorn, all those other Minnesota wild and, you know, Minnesota related podcasts and even some other ones, uh, what you do, I think for the game of hockey in general, just as a, a media fan, if you will, at this particular point, um, we're really grateful for that because we always love to see people um, helping others all revel and partake in the game of hockey. So we really appreciate it. And uh, do you have anything else to add before we bid you adieu? I guess I just have one thing. Um, for, I guess for those of you that don't know, I've been doing my blog that I've been writing now for about 16 years, which so like Noah was like five years old when I started. I don't know. I'm just teasing. Pretty but close. Anyways. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I figured that. I figured that was a good Nick Maxson. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but no. But no. Honestly, I mean, I, I I can say that I've seen a lot of things change over the years in terms of the, I guess say like the online community uh, in regards to hockey, and 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 hockey fans are are diehard people. They. They live and they're very passionate about what they have. And I can also tell you that earlier, 10 years ago, I don't know if you would have seen this kind of 
collaboration where you see different people reach into you know different podcasts as friendly as they would normally be because they would see it as like competition right now and maybe this is a side effect of the fact that we're all remote and it's 2020 but it's a lot more friendly collaboration where people are promoting and sharing everybody and they they they're spreading the love that way and because i think it's really our way to reach out and connect because in the traditional sense where we would normally get together either at a bar and watch the game or go to the game itself we don't have that opportunity so this is really the closest thing we have to having those conversations that we we crave so much and um i want to thank you guys for doing what you do because you guys offer a unique perspective um i i know i've told you that i've i'm I'm incredibly impressed with the polish that you guys have to your shows. Uh, I enjoy the interviews quite a bit. Um, I didn't go to St. Cloud State. My parents went to St. Cloud State. I spent a lot of time at St. Cloud State and around it as a, as a kid growing up in Elk River, which is just 30 miles down the road, more or less. Uh, and, you know, I, I have to admit, you guys make me excited about Huskies hockey and I would say I would have been a, a casual fan at best of them, but I get excited based on your excitement over what they, what, what's going on in, with the Huskies, both men's and women's programs. And that's great. I, I definitely think we're going to have to put that one up in our promotional banner for every YouTube show ever. Right. Right? <laughs> free, free marketing and advertising. That's really why you're here, Derek. Exactly. <laughs> that's all I do. <laughs> really appreciate it. Derek, um, what is the name of your blog for people who do not know so they can check out, uh, check out the various mediums in which you uh, tend to promote our, us and wild hockey in general? Okay, so I write for, well, the website I write for is Sports Daily. It's a blogging arm of USA Today. Uh, the actual name of the blog is Crease and Assist, a legally compliant Minnesota hockey blog. There's a story that goes with that. But, um, yeah, uh, so it'd be Sports Daily slash Crease and Assist. And uh, I, I'll obviously be writing more now that the season's getting going. I just kicked out a season preview, like, couple days ago so if people want to check that out where i give kind of my thoughts on the roster and how i think things will shake out for the season you can read that i also i also love giving other fans the opportunity just like you're giving me the chance to talk i like to give other fans the opportunity to talk and share their voice because there's a lot of smart hockey minds out there they're all over the place and so anyways i i did another uh, series that i've done actually for about six or seven years now called wild fan speak where i I talked to some friends of mine, some have podcasts, some don't. Uh, and I asked them questions about how they see the team, because to me, kind of like you've given me the opportunity to speak and share my thoughts on the season. That's part of what makes it cool is the, the chance to pass them the mic. And that's, in this case, they get a, they, they write the answers. Like I'm interviewing them as we're sitting around like a table or a panel or whatever. And, and it's really interesting and intriguing to hear what they have to say. Because I think we all learn more when we hear more perspectives. I, I absolutely agree. I think for us uh, as well, we learn a lot from our fans too, and definitely want you know anybody to partake. Obviously, we have things on our website where you can give us feedback as well. Derek has done that, and uh, um, actually, probably one of the pivotal reasons why this next portion I'm about to announce is happening. Don't forget, our healthy scratch interview segment is now separate this week for the first time in the show's history. Coming out on Tuesday, we will have head coach Brett Larson of the men's hockey team ready to recap the pod as well as this particular weekend against Duluth. Derek once again we thank you for joining us and that'll do it for the center ice view news and notes portion of episode number 43